Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and market uh, streaming service. We, uh, it is great to have your company uh, it has just gone midday Eastern Standard Time. That means it is time for the call. 10 stocks, two experts, 60 minutes to give you direction on what to do with those stocks. And boy, do we have a dynamic duo as part of the panel today. Big welcome to Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Great to be here. Thanks, Koshi. First time at Brangaroo Studios. Yes, yeah, uh, impressive. Good to have you in here. Not too impressive. We're just a little humble startup, Julia, as you know. Uh, and Andrew Whelan from uh, Dombush Partners in Toowoomba. Andrew, great to see you again. How's beautiful Toowoomba this morning? Oh, it's going off for Koshi like a frog in a sock. <laughs> <laughs> now, Anna, I, I heard Anastasia Palaszczuk this morning saying, all right, cafes and restaurants are, are open, maximum 10 people, except if you're in the outback, you can have 20. Is Toowoomba sort of on the edge of the outback, do you think, or do you still get um, sort of classed as part of the big smoke? Oh, we're, we're Australia's uh, second largest inland city, Koshi, after Canberra. And Canberra doesn't really count, of course. No. So we'll just say we're Australia's <laughs> largest uh, regional city. So, uh, but unfortunately, not uh, not the outback. So, oh, uh, but look, I, I know a lot of my uh, cafe owners really happy just to get 10 in the door. And today we're going to Rex Airlines and having a look at that. Says it's considering operating between the capital cities to compete directly with Qantas and Virgin. Now, the expansion would be funded by $200 million capital investment. Meantime, the Morrison government, through its pandemic support measures for the aviation sector, gave more money to Rex than it did to both Qantas and Virgin combined, would you believe? Labor MP Catherine King adding, why has the government provided $54 million to Rex, which employs around 1,000 uh, 1, employees, but no equivalent support for Virgin, which employs almost 10,000 workers, but Rex, Julia Lee has been talking a big game recently, hasn't it? Saying, hey, we're going to start going between capital cities and taking advantage of the situation Virgin's in. Listed on the stock exchange, the old Regional Express. What do you think of it? I love Regional Express. I mean, if you're travelling to regional Australia, it's one of the very few airlines which yeah. travels to most places in Australia. So it formed in 2002, uh, I think it was Hazleton, which I've also traveled on, and Kendall, yeah. which merged. And look, a monopoly on most of its routes. It services those routes that Virgin as well as Qantas um, yeah. were unprofitable in servicing because they have much smaller aircrafts. I think it does make sense to uh, expand. Um, the market definitely like the sound of that. And I guess it offers uh, more competition. The fact that it's already operating here in Australia means it's already got a foothold as well as a client base, and it's simply expansion. It will need capital for that, but it does look like there's interested parties involved. Yeah. And of course, you know, 
the share price has done well on that. And when I look at businesses, often for a business value to increase, you need something new, whether it's right. new management, new strategy, or a new product. And in this case, opening up the number of routes that it yeah. flies to is something to that will add value to the okay. business. So uh, it's a travel stock. It's an airline. All of them are being crushed. Um, a lot of people say, oh, you know, at this particular time, there's a way maybe to get a, a leg in when they're down on their knees. Would you invest in Rex? I think, yeah, I'd put a little bit of money in, especially given the travel restrictions. I think it okay. could benefit from the travel restrictions. Right. If Australians can't travel overseas, they'll probably yeah. be traveling domestically. And we spend a lot of money in terms of travel and holidays. Yeah. And if that money's contained here in Australia, Rex would okay. be a beneficiary. All right. Andrew, what do you think of Rex? Uh, Koshi, airline scamming. Um, <laughs> and we could be talking about Qantas or um, or Rex, so certainly not. Uh, my opening statement is airlines in general scare me because they're very high fixed cost businesses. Uh, you know, like if you've only got half the passengers, does that mean you only pay half the landing fees and half the fuel and half the wages of the, the people operating the planes? So I, I guess I'm always being a bit dubious on airlines, obviously in a situation like where we are at the moment, uh, that there might be some value there. I'm actually just looking at their map, you know, what Julie was talking about before relating to uh, the ability for sort of more internal or domestic tourism, in particular in Queensland, um, here in Toowoomba is an example they, they fly to. So uh, there's my plug for Toowoomba tourism for today. So um, <laughs> certainly I think Julia's, um, you know, absolutely got a point there. But to me, there's just plenty of unknowns at the moment. Uh, obviously, as you re referenced right at the beginning there, Koshi, there's a whole political story there. You know, why did uh, Virgin not get a look in but Rex did? Yeah. Um, and so I just think there's lots of moving parts in there. So me personally, I'd be a bit cautious, maybe wait for them to dip back into that 90 cent mark. I'd be probably a little bit cautious at these levels. Okay. All right. A yes from Julia, a no from Andrew on uh, our stock of the day, Rex. And uh, while you did give, come on, while you did give a plug for Toowoomba, Andrew, your top three highlights of a visit to Toowoomba. Oh, well, so my vested interest is on the chairman of the Empire Theatre. Oh. And so that, that's, that's my disclosure out the way. But you have to come visit the Empire Theatre, Australia's largest regional theatre. We can see uh, over 1,500. Uh, lots of artists come and film their DVDs here. Paul Kelly, as an example, recently filmed okay. uh, his uh, concert oh. tour there. So you'd have to definitely go to uh, the Empire Theatre. You must go visit Picnic Point. So yep. that's uh, where we have a view across uh, the uh, the Lockyer Valley. Yep. Um, and then sort of the third one, there's, there's lots of other things to choose from. I, I would think come and uh, have a look at our um, amazing restaurants and uh, vineyards that we have in, in the right. region. So okay. yeah, Toowoomba, all right. place to visit. <laughs> that's all the time you get, Andrew. So we're doing our bit for regional Australia <laughs> and in particular Toowoomba. All right, let's move on to the, uh, the first of our top 10 stocks that have been uh, suggested by you as we do on the call every day for this hour. Andrew, we'll stick with you because, you know, regional ag, um, Lockyer Valley is a, 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 a great food uh, growing area, of course, uh, of Queensland. Our first stock is Vital Harvest, um, which is basically a property trust, isn't it? Or property investment company uh, in agricultural property. Some of them 
for example, leased to the Costco group, some of the, the berry and strawberry farms and stuff like that. Um, what do you think of Vital Harvest? Yeah, so 137 million market cap, and as you're saying, it's really a REIT that's got an ag focus. And if you think about all the businesses at the moment that are not under pressure, I've talked to a lot of my farming clients, uh, ag is certainly an area that isn't under pressure. So at, mm. at a high level, you'd certainly think it's maybe one to have a look at. You're right, it's exposed to Costa. Uh, and if you, you probably don't have a Costa uh, chart up because I didn't warn you to do that. But uh, yeah. CGC is the code. Its share price was around $8. It's back at around $2.76. So, so go the fortunes of Costa, so does Vital Harvest. Wow. And... Um, Obviously, issues relating to um, not only the, the berry business, sorry, the citrus business, but berries in particular. There's increasing supply, uh, some pretty high cost. If you were to buy a vital harvest the shares themselves, it's incredibly low liquidity. It's like 100 grand a year of shares. Oh. Uh, sorry, 100 grand a day of shares that go through. So it's incredibly low. Only one analyst fo uh, follows it. It's trading at its net asset backing of around 74 cents. So I I I'm a hold, Koshi. Right. Okay. So a bit smaller and a bit boring. What do you reckon, Julia? Uh, look, if you're looking for income, Vital Harvest looks quite interesting. It's obviously a landowner and the way you make money when you're a landowner is either capital growth or income. Yeah. On the income side, it has a yield of 6.5%, which is pretty oh. decent with interest rates yeah. where they are. It's pretty stable because its largest, uh, I guess, the person or the company that it leases out to is Costa Group, which is listed on the market. So citrus and berry properties, New South Wales, Tasmania, as well as South Australia. And if you have a look at Costa Group, they mainly supply into supermarkets, which is a great place to be in the environment that we're in at the moment. So I think pretty stable. And if you have a look at the average lease uh, term, it's about seven and a half years. So a oh. bit of stability there, there okay. as well. We're coming out of drought. So those property yeah. prices should be going up in the next few years. Right. So so begs a question. If you're, if you're a yield investor, you're getting hammered at the moment, particularly if you've been in the banks or whatever, is this a yield stock that's worth worth looking at? Even though, as Andrew says, now share price doesn't move much and it's very thinly traded, um, that yield is pretty good in this market. Well, if you're an income investor, you're not really going to be trading it. You'll, no. you'll just be holding on for yeah. the yield. And I guess if you have a look at the alternatives for yield at the moment, there's shopping centres where rents are going up and down and everywhere. You've got office buildings which aren't fully occupied at the moment. And yeah. There's a question mark of whether we are going to work more from home. So agricultural property, where it's coming out of a pretty bad period of drought mm. and it is a cyclical area, isn't looking too bad at the okay. moment. Okay, all right. So yes, for you on Vital Harvest. Um, we've got to stick to the harvest theme here, Andrew. Uh, Australia's largest almond producer, amongst a few other things, Select Harvest is our second stock. Yeah, I was going to say, if we're, if we're looking at sort of the ag space, I actually think this one is probably the better out of the two. Yeah. Um, 730 odd million market cap. And it's not just almonds, it's your nuts and your berries and your fruits yep. as well. So uh, it's a, in fact, it's a quasi REIT because it owns around 420,000 acres of, of almond orchards across the country. Uh, the liquidity is, is, is great. I like the fact that the CEO is buying stock. That's always one of my uh, first mm. tells as to uh, is management actually buying the company. Um, consensus on it is $8.40. 
It's returned 16% per annum over the last three years, and that chart, as you can see, is uh, is looking pretty good. So, um, yeah, I like it. Good update in late April. Exports are rising. So, yeah, mm. certainly if I had to choose between Vital Harvest and this one, I'd do this one every day of the week. Okay. I mean, select harvest, it is almonds, and 80% of the world's almonds are produced in California. So it really is about what's happening in California. If I was to buy into select harvest, the perfect conditions that I'd be looking for is a falling crop from California, um, a, a, a falling Aussie dollar, which would be positive for it, and a warmer weather, which is great news for bees because they need to call pollinate the almond trees. I guess if you have a look at almond trees, you know, they take about five years before they yield anything and then they produce for about 20 to 25 years. Right. So you also need to continuously plant as well. And if we have a look at what's been happening in California, which is the key market, they've replanted or they've grown their orchid size in terms of expansion by about 2.3%. That's below the longer term average, which is about 4%. So that mm. might bode well for Australia over the next couple of years. But look, in terms of pricing, the price same as last year, about $8.50 a kilo. Um, and in terms of, of water, I guess water is getting cheaper. And then the other thing to watch out for is chemicals and fertilizers. That makes up about 20 to 25% of the cost of producing almonds. And look, right. that's looking okay at the moment. So I think the key here is California, but nothing's really changed too much in terms of pricing. So look, you'd expect it to be pretty stable here. Okay. All right. So would you, you be too. a buyer of of Select Harvest at this price? I like Select Harvest, but I'd probably be a buyer when there's problems in California. Right, okay. So um, a no there. And uh, great explanation from uh, from, uh, from Julia B. the gardener. I know. <laughs> but, you know, you should have a, like better homes and gardens <laughs> here, sort of from from bees pollinating through to the fertiliser price. Well I've done. just planted my garlic Very... in the garden, so uh, nine months it takes. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive indeed, and probably almonds on the way after boating up on that. Uh, let's go to our third stock uh, is Webjet. Um, and Julia, it's been a bit all over the place, but the last week or two with, um, with things opening up again, some of these travel stocks, including Webjet, has, have had a bit of a bounce back up. I must admit I bought Webjet after the capital raising, so oh, this okay. is one we hold in the fund. And that's because, look, it's peak pessimism. Obviously, there's not a lot of travel going on. So the question I ask myself when I see a stock like this is, number one, can it survive this abnormal period? So yep. hopefully, you know, two years. And then number two, are things going to be better in two to three years' time? And the way I look at it is, let's say, you know, it's... 2023 and I'm looking back on the COVID-19 period, would I be happy that I bought Webjet or would I be unhappy? And I think it's peak pessimism at the moment. If we can get past the next couple of years and travel rebounds again, I think valuations here are, you know, pretty much depression levels. Okay. Andrew? I get the feeling that I'm going to be three for three and disagreeing with Julia, which just kills me. <laughs> That's good. Oh, we oh, actually... Oh. We get along really well. And like her, but, yeah, I'm just... No, no, no. It's just business, I mean, Andrew. There's nothing personal in it. Just business. <laughs> it's just business. Uh, I mean, I look at... And you're right. The share price is ordinary. You just had that chart up before, which was down around 81%. Yeah. I, I sort of look back to... It even had that fall prior to COVID because um, it had already fallen 25% prior to that, you know, due to its trading update. Uh, I like the fact that the CEO uh, took up some shares in that raising. He took up around 426,000 shares. 
So uh, he's certainly well and truly invested. I've got clients that are just trading this share every day. You know, it's a great. It's not doing a lot today. It's only down 0.3 percent, but it's been bouncing all over the place. Yeah. I agree with Julia. It's it's peak pessimism. But again, back to my sort of airlines uh, thing. You know, I'm just very dubious about travel companies in general. There's lots of water to pass under the bridge here. And if I were to buy it, you know, the, the place where Julia bought it post the raising is where to do it. Certainly not at these levels. Right. Okay. But I suppose also, Andrew, the other question with these travel companies is a bit like with Flight Centre, isn't it? What are they doing during this period to redo their business model um, for when they come out? It's not just when travel picks up, and it will pick up, there's no doubt about that, but will they use this time to make it a better business coming out the other end? And are they restructuring like Flight Centre is doing? Oh, it's a great question. And you could, in fact, say that about all businesses, Koshi. Yeah. You know, like just because your business model worked pre-COVID-19, there's lots of, we could spend the rest of the hour just talking about that one. So, I mean, to me, though, and I, to be honest, I haven't looked at what their monthly cash burn is, yeah. but that would be my biggest concern. They've gone out and raised all this money. That's great. But what happens if we can't do any meaningful travel till 2023, as an example? Yeah. What's yeah. the uh, the cash burn going to be like? Yeah. Have, have they done it? Uh, Julie, are you getting the sense, is management there good enough to say, okay, we've got to pivot? As Andrew was saying, they, they did fall before the March uh, crash because they had a poor earnings period. So mm. is, that, is that an indication they've got to change? I mean, the first thing you have to ask is, you know, whether we're going to travel again. And for me, the answer is absolutely yes. So can yeah. Webjet get from $3 to $6 when it was trading at $16 pre-COVID? Yeah. And I think that's a pretty easy uh, trajectory as long as we start to travel. Secondly, is their capital position secure? Well, they did the capital raising, so they yeah. are secure. They are also cutting costs in this environment so that they have a lower cash burn. And number three is what you find when companies come out of tough periods is because they're so lean, once the demand comes back, the margins are absolutely beautiful. The key yeah. is that you need to see the demand come back. And in my personal view, you are going to see people yeah. travelling again. Yeah. Uh, is it an either-or between Webjet and Flight Centre? I prefer Webjet because right. Flight Centre has a bricks and mortar, um, yeah. so it's an extra weight and an extra cost. And I think Webjet as a platform is very good. The other thing is to look at the Virgin impact because we have seen Virgin going yeah. into administration. And basically Webjet has said no material exposure. What they are is an agent, so yeah. um, they're fine in terms of the Virgin administration. So really just waiting for that travel to come back. They've done the right things, the capital raising, securing their balance sheet, uh, cutting costs, and now it's about the demand coming right. back. Okay, all right. Um, our fourth stock of the 10, the, so we've done travel, we've done agriculture, something I didn't know this company was listed, uh, Monash IVF, um, a, a quaint description saying the business is about the provision of human fertility and assisted reproductive services. So it's the most complicated explanation for IVF I think I've ever heard of. Andrew, do you follow it at all? What's it? Do you have a view? I follow it super Monash? closely. Yeah, I've, I've had a couple of clients uh, trade in and out of it. Again, it's a oh. very small company. It's about 130 odd million. Oh. Uh, recently, did a pretty big capital raise. So, and that's a common theme, obviously, not only across the market, but indeed some of these ones we're talking about today. I thought you'd enjoy this one, Koshi. The CEO and MD have been increasing their holdings. 
but they now hold, according to the data I've seen anyway, fifty-three and eighty thousand dollars worth each of oh. the company. So one hundred and thirty-eight million dollar <laughs> company holds 0.04 and 0.06 percent of the company. Oh, I like okay. people with skin in the game. I'm not sensing a lot of skin in the game. Chart yeah. looks terrible, as you can see there. It's not a buy, but is it is it is it too cheap to sell? That's probably my view. Right. Okay. But when you look up, what was two dollars fifty a couple of years ago? Um, Julia, have you had a look at it? I mean, looking at the share price, even before COVID nineteen happened, the share price has been falling over the last yeah. five years. And the reason for that, you think that IVF would be a huge money maker. More Massive. people were holding off having kids till later and using assisted reproductive. Yeah. Uh, it's but a good story. It's isn't a great a, story. A good thing, and the market is uh, increasing. The problem is that it's so competitive. You're seeing players coming in and undercutting ah. each other. So I think Ramsey's in this space. It's much cheaper than someone like Monash IVF. So what you are seeing is all this new technology coming in, cost cutting and pricing, and that's not being good for Monash IVF. So look, I would say that this is a trading stock. I don't like entering into areas where there's intense competition because really you're going to get those margins just disappearing very quickly. Isn't that interesting? Through these companies you learn about that. I had no idea there was a price war on, on IVF. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because MedTech, is it because MedTech has just advanced in leaps so and bounds? So quickly. It's become a lot cheaper. If you wanted to invest in babies, I'd be looking at baby formula because after SARS, <laughs> we actually oh, saw yeah. birth rates increasing by 15% in China. Oh, so, okay. you know, we're in lockdown. What are we doing? Right. Hopefully we're having a bit of fun and there'll be a bit more babies. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, I won't, won't ask if you... Personal experience, Julia. But uh, anyhow, uh, still on the medical theme, though, uh, a different one here, medical developments, um, listed stock, um, anaesthetic machines. Uh, I love this company. Um, Um, For vets. Oh, no, no, no. It's for people. I've had one of the green whistles because I got hit by a stingray and the pain is like nothing you could imagine. Like there's no wind in the studio at the moment, but the sensation of the wind had me screaming out in pain. And the ambulance came with one of the green whistles. And as soon as I breathed it in, instant pain relief. Um, so it's non-opiate based. Right. They have them in ambulances, not only in Australia, but over in the EU, they've been expanding rapidly. Right. And they've also gotten the okay to expand into China, which will be a key market for it. Interestingly, if you have a look at the last first half results, it wasn't so much the green whistle product, um, Penthrox, which was the key uh, driver, but it was actually in its uh, Breathatec product where it saw a big jump in sales. Now this is for people who have asthma, they have a puffer and then basically it's a double spacer so that you get more of the medication into the area that needs it into the lungs. So it sort of supercharges your puffer. And I've used it before when I've had a cold and I've had trouble breathing. I'm not an asthmatic but I've used a puffer to help me breathe and given the COVID-19 experience, especially in the US where Breath of space mainly is expanding through stores like Walmart as well as Kmart. I think it's going to continue to do well during this COVID lockdown period because people, when they have trouble breathing, will not only go for the puffers, but the double spaces as well, especially if you've got kids. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, but well run, good executive team. Yeah, and... I, I like this company. If you can get it at a cheaper price than seven dollars, right. that would be oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> but so, it is a so quality. So, what's a fair price for on a pullback? I, I, I would still pay seven dollars. But oh. look, if you can get below seven dollars, um, maybe around the six dollar mark, I'd say that's an absolute bargain. Okay. And look, a stock like this, I think, should be trading at nine or ten dollars. Okay, Andrew. I, I like it. We're back in sync, Julia. Good to see. Uh, I uh, I like it. It's a uh, it's a great business, and you know we talk about the management. The chair, uh, David Williams, owns fourteen percent of the company. It's good in the game, but interestingly, he and three of the other directors are also directors of Polynovo. So for those oh. uh, playing at home, PNB yes. has been a ripper. It has uh, has so been an absolute and, ripper. It is very much a favourite of the call. Would you believe? And uh, we cover it quite a bit here. Well, those shares, I know we're talking about MVP, but PNV yep. shares up 98% per annum over the last five years. Yep. So um, so you've got people who know how to grow a business running this business. So I like right. that. Um, all the things that Julia spoke about, my daughter's a pretty bad asthmatic and those spaces are amazing. So I didn't know about your green whistle experience, uh, Julia, but yep, sounds like uh, uh, it's a great product. The PE, though, is out there. It's 365 times earnings, wow. but they are growing rapidly. Uh, I like it too, and certainly added all the ones we're going to talk about today, That's probably this is probably the one I like the most. Okay. So is this sort of like a baby polynovo? Well, the market cap's 479, so it's not, you know, Baby-esque as such, but in in context of the people who are running it, the style of product, I mean, I I have found out recently I'm an asthmatic, but certainly when I was growing up, no jokes about age, you know, there was certainly no real testing, whereas these days that's a lot more prevalent now that we know my daughter is and all the spaces and inhalers and everything else going on. It is a growing market, and these uh, these guys and girls seem to be all over it. As you spoke about briefly, Kosha, there's also the veterinary side of the business as well, uh, the medical devices. I mean, we've been spending a lot of time talking about just the pharmaceutical side. There's other parts to this business as well. Mm. So, yeah, I like it. Okay. And, Andrew, let me assure you, you will get no jokes about age when I'm part of any panel. Uh, I can't certainly talk. All right, uh, so that's medical development. Uh, uh, a double tip from uh, from both Julia and Andrew. Uh, that was our fifth stock. Just to recap, uh, so far, um, Rex, a yes from Julia, no from Andrew. Vital Harvest, a hold from, and, uh, from Andrew. Julia likes it. Uh, Select Harvest, a yes from Andrew, no from Julia. Webjet, Julia's just gone in, sort of bit of vulture investing. Uh, <laughs> we put it nicely, uh, Julia, on the bounce back, a note from Andrew. Uh, Monash IVF, a note from both, but big tick from both Julia and Andrew for medical development and uh, in the Polynovo stable, if you like, or associated companies, which uh, is a good pedigree when you, uh, when you talk about stocks. Let's uh, take a look at the second half of the call and our Six stock, uh, Andrew, Hub 24. Um, so an investment and in sort of superannuation platform, is that? Yeah, it's certainly post the Hain Royal Commission and, you know, the banks big time stepping back from operating their own businesses and there's a lot more uh, independent advisors around or 
independent. We can, again, talk about what that means. Um, <laughs> certainly the likes of Hub24, uh, NetWealth Premium, they're all certainly coming into their own. Again, though, if you look at um, Hub's 24 share price, even prior to COVID, it had fallen from 15 yeah. back to $10. So certainly it hasn't moved too much, you know, point to point during this COVID crisis. Um, I guess the thing that concerns me, though, been great over five years. The thing that concerns me, though, about Hub24 is that it's not a very sticky business. And what I mean by that is that as an advisor, you know, you're trying to make sure that your clients are in a, a, a good fee environment. And certainly under our code of ethics, that's even more heightened. And so if there was someone else out there, so as an example, BT Panorama has been pretty aggressive with their pricing over the last 18 months or whoever it is, you could just pick your clients up out of Hub24 and put them yeah. into a, into another platform. So increasing competition, falling margins, especially because they used to make pretty good money on cash. That's when there used to be interest rates. So, <laughs> and a PE of 50 times, I, I just think it looks pretty pricey. So it's not a bad business by any stretch of the imagination, right. but to me, it's a hold. Julie? Uh, yeah, Hub24, competitive pricing. And look, if you have a look at, and probably Andrew's in a good place to talk to what's happening in the advisor space during the COVID-19 experience, um, People are say advisors are saying that instead of picking up a lot of new clients, they're having to do a lot more work with their existing clients to make them feel comfortable with their environment and spending a lot more time on existing clients' portfolios. So that means less new clients coming on board, I guess less new businesses for uh, a company like Hub24. So look, probably I'd stay away from this one, especially given that we are expecting unemployment to be a problem as well. Um, so people are probably looking at spending less money and have less money to spend as well. So look, Hub24 competition means lower pricing, falling interest rates is a bad environment, and then add into the mix um, less workers as well. So Julia, would that apply across that sector as well? Because as Andrew was saying, you've got net wealth, you've got a couple of others there as well. Are they all in the same boat or is there one that's standing out in the sector? Uh, I think the one that stands out to me is net wealth, um, oh. only because I like to, whenever I'm talking to advisors, I like to ask what platform they like and what they use. And the one they usually rave about is mm. net wealth. However, I don't like the sector at the moment, so right. I probably wouldn't be buying net wealth either here. Andrew, what about you? Across the sector? Oh, I, I was going to say I've got a bit of a vested interest in this uh, in this conversation. Um, having recently bought a financial services business, I, um, I we use premium here, and that's simply right. because we have a, a direct equities bias and they've got a very good back end relating to direct equities. Certainly nothing wrong with any of them, but if I was just looking at it as a purely investment basis, I would be quite cautious in spending any money in a wealth-facing business at this stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So it's a, a sector avoid as well as a stock avoid. All right, um, our seventh stock, Andrew, we'll kick this one off with you. Bigger Cheese, uh, as the name suggests, it's in dairy products, milk and cheese, but uh, famously in, in Vegemite and peanut butter as well. <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't got a lot of clients in it, so I was doing a bit of work on this last night. And um, yeah, as you said, not only cheese, you know, exporting 60 million units of cheese to 40 countries, which is in itself is pretty impressive, but then using those monies to diversify their business, uh, buying businesses from craft like Vegemite uh, and, uh, of course, the peanut butter as well. 
Uh, again, I, I note the old chestnut, what's, the, what's management doing? The chair has reduced his uh, holding across the business by about 25%. To be fair, though, he has been unwell, so potentially it's just something that he's doing personally. Um, the return hasn't been too bad um, over the last five years. Uh, charts looking a lot better there than what it has. Um, consensus has got it around 451, so you know it's it's okay. But generally speaking, I think this is probably a buy. Uh, bearing in mind, though, uh, you've got to consider impact of going back to what Julia was saying earlier, and you know, selling harvest and the impact of things like bushfires and drought and so forth. Yeah. they can be real drivers of this business. But overall, I like it. Yeah. Uh, we hold this stock um, and it's been doing very well for us. And the reason we got into yeah, it is... Yeah, the one new chart has been good, chart looks great it? because um, it's coming out of drought conditions. And look, right. it's still pretty competitive for milk at the moment. Um, and that's because supply hasn't caught up. There's still right. um, the impact of the drought. But that, look, is a cyclical thing and that will lift next year. So well, the thing I like about Bega is that it is diversified. It has specialist areas as well. Lactoferrin, which is used in infant formula, which is a growth right. area. Yeah. So I think that's great to see. We are seeing, uh, I, I guess, one of the things I'm watching and worried about is coal going directly to farmers, but they still need the processing and the bottling part, which Bega also does. Um, so look, just watching what the supermarkets do, because right. obviously the supermarkets are a big customer of uh, Bega. But look, staying at home, I'm eating a lot more peanut butter, <laughs> maybe not Vegemite, but definitely oh, a lot more on, cheese and milk. <laughs> I live on Vegemite. Um, but okay, so a lot of people would say, uh, dairies, A2, uh, milk, big China story, uh, bubs, big China story as well. Um, does Bega have a China story as it is, well, or to the extent? It, it's a small China story and it, it also exports to Japan and some other countries as well. Right. But what what is worrying about the tensions with China at the moment is that the marginal buyer of bigger products are the export market. So right. that, that that is markets like China as well as Japan. Um, so look, watching that very carefully, but I think conditions are getting better overall. We're seeing the seasonal conditions getting better yeah. and that's going to improve over the next couple of years as we come out of drought. Yeah. So chart, one year chart looks pretty good. What, five, around five bucks at the moment? I haven't held it for is, more than one year, so. All oh, right, is it, is it still a buy at five bucks, do you think? Uh, look, around these levels, probably just a hold. I wouldn't be right. uh, running in and screaming and buying more um, because it has risen quite a, a bit. Um, but, you know, when you saw that big dip down in 2019 and 2018, that yeah. was because of drought conditions. Right. Okay. And what the market does is it prices drought as though it's going to go on forever, which, of course, right. it doesn't. And now yeah. it's coming out of drought. It should have much better trading conditions over the next couple of years. Okay. All right. So a uh, tick from Andrew, a hold from, uh, from Julia on Bega Cheese. Uh, our eight stock, um, Andrew, is ripe. Um, tech business, basically, cloud software licensing business, is it? Yeah, so Andrew the nerd likes this business. <laughs> um, it's a uh, it's a three hundred odd million dollar business. It's a cloud based business. It's a, a reseller of Microsoft products, so Office and Azure, uh, and it does that to software vendors. I guess I, I look at the fact that they have withdrawn guidance. They cancelled their dividend due to COVID. I mean, it was a one cent dividend, so it was probably not a huge thing. But yeah. you know, if I'm looking for an amber light, that's potentially an amber light. 
uh, consensus has it at around three three bucks with the four people who follow it in the mm. shares. If we have a look at a three-year chart at the moment, or you can probably bring up a five-year chart, yeah. uh, it's been great. So uh, I, I think this is a, a growing space. You look at those Microsoft results and show what percentage of their revenue is now coming from cloud-based earnings. Yeah. Uh, if you can have someone like Ripe in the middle there, yeah, I'd, I'd be quite relaxed with this one. Yeah, and it's also um, fee-for-service now. They, All of these groups have changed their model from just pay for your software up front to, to pay monthly. So it builds in a good annuity. And uh, my, um, Andrew, when you were mentioning Microsoft there, I think their earnings that came out the other day uh, was saying uh, their customers are looking at sort of stepping up the technology um, so that it's more secure um, and quicker for people working at home. Oh, look, without a doubt, and certainly in our portfolios, as you know, we tend to focus a little bit more on ETFs these days, but, you know, Microsoft or companies that have that technology focus because of that annuity-style earnings, that defensive yeah. nature, uh, certainly are pretty high on our list at the mm. moment. Okay. Julia, what do you think of Raya? I like this company, but I'd probably hold off buying it for a year. And look, it's cloud-based, subscription-based. It's really nice getting that reoccurring revenue. And in yeah. fact, if we have a look at their last set of numbers, I think revenue was up by 32% for the first chart. So that's great to see. The question I ask is, are you going to see those type of numbers in the next half and the half um, after that. Yeah. And I don't think so, because I think the business environment is tough. I think people are actually going to be laying off workers. There's not going to be a lot more new businesses. So when you think about subscription type businesses, it's when you have a new uh, business, you have new staff and you need to pay for another user. It's per work, sort of workstation, is it? It's either per workstation or it's a, an, it encompasses a license for the whole firm. So I think the new business part may come under pressure there. Mm, so I don't okay. think there's any um, rush to buy into this stock. I like the business. Its key advantage is being a Microsoft partner. Mm. I think it's the only one in the Asia Pacific region to be a global partner of Microsoft, but that's its key weakness as well. If it loses that, yeah. it's gone. Uh, do we know, does that have a long-term arrangement with Microsoft, but it's not, yeah, not coming to a, an end anytime soon. Well, it's been going on for a while and right. seems to be a good relationship, but you can never tell with these type of things. It also has uh, relationships with Symantec and a couple of other tech providers, but Microsoft is the key yeah. one there. So it's pro it's got that foothold in the Asia Pacific region, being that global partner of Microsoft and the only one in this region, which is a key strength, but potentially yeah. you've got to watch that carefully. Is that a concern for you, Andrew? Oh, without a doubt. But again, if I was to play devil's advocate, which my wife says I do pretty well, uh, <laughs> would be the fact that if I was Microsoft and who else do I go to? How do I start that relationship? Um, I, 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 it's, it's without a doubt a huge threat, not discounting that for a moment, but I think you would definitely see it coming. It wouldn't be just sort of bang, you know, here's three new competitors you would have a fair bit of warning that that was coming at you. But it's undoubtedly a big threat. Yeah. And I suppose their customers would be pretty sticky as well because to, to change a platform um, is really a big deal in most corporates, isn't it? If you've got one that's just chugging along, doing well, continues yep. to improve, meets your needs, you've got to stay with it rather than try something else that might be a bit cheaper. Yeah, I mean, I think Julia's point is bang on that if we're in an environment where a million people or probably a little bit less, but let's call it a million people have lost their jobs, 
over the last six weeks. I mean, that's just horrific. Yeah. And uh, obviously a lot of it is in that sort of hospitality tourism space that I'm sure there's a great number of corporates as well. And what's going to be that knock-on effect, and certainly right might be that, but equally so the clients that do stay are very sticky, high, yeah. are high margin. So yeah. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Okay. All right. Uh, a yes from Andrew on ripe and a wait from, uh, from Julia. Uh, our ninth stock, um, let's get back to the resources sector, Julia Grange Resources. Now, they do what, iron ore pellets. Mm. Do they? What's the difference between an iron ore pellet and norm, normal iron ore? Uh, there's two differences. One is the quality, so it's much higher quality, which means you can get a higher price. Oh. But on the flip side, getting it out of the ground um, is more cost intensive and labour yeah. intensive as well. So it costs more to get it out of the ground. Um, so I haven't had a look at this one in a while. Um, it's Savage River, I think, is their key yeah. resource in Tasmania, yeah. which I think is able to produce to about 2030. So with these iron ore companies, you always have to look at the producing resource and yeah. how long they'll be able to produce from that resource, and yeah. then if they have another asset they can also develop. So this company does have another asset, but it'll probably need to bring a partner on board to develop that asset. Um, and that's something that's important when you have just one key asset. Yeah. I guess if you have a look at iron ore pellets, um, if you have a look at Grange Resources, they're able to sell those pellets for about 180 Australian. And then the cost of producing it is about 100 Australian. So it's a nice margin at the moment because yeah. iron ore has been doing well. But uh, you know, a few years ago when iron ore prices fell quite substantially, this wasn't a great business. So look, it's probably in a good spot at the moment given where iron ore prices are, but this is all about the iron ore price. If right. you start to see the price come down, this company is going to come under pressure because its cost of producing is much higher than the likes of Fortescue or BHP or Rio. Right, even though, if you like, they're producing a premium end of the iron ore market, if you like. Yeah, and it, it's worthwhile producing the premium end of the market if you can get those yeah. higher prices. If, you, if the price starts going down, people don't care about the premium end. Right. They still want a cheaper product. Okay. Andrew? Yeah, yeah so again, we've, we've already established that I'm not a big travel or airlines fan. I think we can now add small resources to that <laughs> list as well. Uh, two, 260 mil market cap, which is... Like, it's big. I'm not suggesting $260 million is not a lot of money, but in the context of some of the brethren we were just talking about, your BHPs, your Rios, your Fortescues, it is sort of, you know, a bit of a rounding error. Uh, I, I guess the thing that concerns me about this business is that it's 46% owned by offshore investors, so it's pretty hard for people to get set in it. Like, I'm just looking at course of trades today. There's been about 10 trades, $48,000 worth has traded on a $260 million company. So again, you know, if you really want grown resources, it's going to be pretty hard to sort of get stuck into it. And I think by, therefore the institutions would probably stay away from it. Um, charts is going nowhere. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm yeah. a pass. Um, our final stock of the 10 to today on the call, Andrew, is... Kodan, the uh, the supplier, communications, metal detection, my, mining supplies. Koshi, you'd be all over this South Australian company. Yep, too right. Great South Australian company. Is it a good investment? Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I just repaying the Toowoomba uh, grab. Yes, I know, um, I know. Look, it's the, uh, the biggest company of all the ones that we're talking about here today. It's about one point one uh, billion dollars. 
And um, yeah, I mean, certainly their exposure actually comes from, I didn't realise this, uh, metal detection is actually oh, yeah. sort of where they get most of their revenue from, uh, in particular gold mining. So uh, and we all know what's happened with gold of late. So, uh, but, you know, obviously they get a bit of money in from um, uh, manufacturing designing of radio equipment as well. Interestingly, the CEO sold off 18% of his shares over the last 12 months. That, again, is potentially a tell. Um, turnover is pretty good. Short interest is rising. So, in other words, people betting that the share price might fall, that's increasing. Um, PE, though, of 20 times is, is, is undemanding for the type of growth that this company is exhibiting and the, the space that it's in. So, yeah, I don't mind it. I'd, I'd, I'd be buying this. Mm. Okay. Julia? I mean, this one to me is just absolutely bizarre. It's like an over $1 billion market capitalization company and their key product is metal detectors. Yeah. I have a, a couple of friends who, who have metal detectors who oh, like to have a look on the beach, beach yeah, oh. to see what's been, uh, what they can dig up. Um, but look, gold has been doing well. If you have a look at their last results, I think it was $171 million worth of revenue and $100 million came from metal detectors. Wow. Now, part of that has been impacted by COVID-19 because of the manufacturing capacity in Malaysia. But I think after yeah. April, things are coming back online. So that should be a temporary blip on the radar. And of course, the gold price remains relatively strong. The other $70 million worth of revenue is an interesting area. It comes from communications and they've picked up a couple of defence contracts and if they can continue to pick up those contracts then the value of this business is going to increase so while metal detectors is a bread and butter right. uh, their growth area has been communication so i'd be mm. watching for any new contracts from the defense area because that's where the extra revenue is coming from right. from for this company. and it's good margin stuff as well yeah, I, I mean, they sell a lot of them. Right. I mean, $100 million yeah. worth of metal detectors in six That's months. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. All right, so do you like it as a company or would you invest? Yeah, I think it looks, it looks interesting. Um, I don't have enough expertise around yep. metal detectors, so I'd probably so, stay away. But look, they're, they're doing yeah. well and they're growing. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Um, Andrew, question without notice. Your clients at the moment, because I think this is a... A fascinating time with the markets. Is, is this a bear market rally or are we off to the races again? A real, certainly too clearly defined schools of thought. Um, your investors, your clients at the moment, what's their temperament towards uh, the market? Yeah, it's, a, it's a really good question, Koshi. Uh, I, I would say that, uh, and this advisor included, you know, just from a valuation point of view, I'm scared would do the frank assessment yeah. uh but if i put that aside which is difficult but if i put that aside ultimately you have this wave and we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago um the u.s federal reserve you know basically dropping 2.3 trillion into the market and buying etfs and investment grade bonds and all sorts of stuff that they've never done before you have all this money sloshing about and it's looking for a home. So I think that if you sort of take it from that frame of mind, that in fact the, the US Fed is in essence backstopping the market, I would still struggle to buy the market on that fact. But you know, one of my biggest fears is that we would see a retest of the March 23 lows. And I'm not suggesting that that won't happen if we sort of 
start reopening the economy and we have a second pandemic wave or whatever the case may be, that is absolutely on the cards. But I guess my mindset and my therefore our clients' mindset is slowly changing from stop sitting on the sidelines and, and mm. being uber bearish to potentially working at how much you want to invest, break it into three or four chunks and every day or a couple of days where there's some mild volatility like that Friday a couple of weeks ago, yeah. that's the time to start putting that money to work. Yeah, Julia, what's your view? I mean, I look at the short-term bucket, the medium-term mm. bucket and the long-term bucket. There's definitely lots of short-term opportunities, but in the long-term bucket, there's opportunities as well. It's not buying the whole market, it's not buying mm. ETFs, but it's looking at selective stocks. And I guess I look at it in three years' time when I'm looking back on the market, what do I wish I would have picked up? And looking at this market, a lot of the market has run quite quickly and it's recovered very quickly. Some stocks are even making uh, all-time record highs. Yeah. But some stocks are still moving downwards. They're being um, priced at very, very cheap levels. And yeah. if you do see you know, improvement in terms of the global economy, even if it takes a year and a half or two years, the market is forward looking. Yeah. So look, I see so it as a- So that's why a wedge jet was a pickup for you. <laughs> stocks like that. And it's not saying that, you know, there might not be more down movements, right. but more down movements is exciting if you have a three or four year time frame yeah. and not a six month time frame. Yeah, it's interesting. All right. It certainly is mixed at the moment. Um, guys, thank you for that. It was uh, a terrific hour. Andrew, really appreciate your time there in Toowoomba. You've given us not only a view on the stocks, but also the highlights of Toowoomba. So <laughs> as, as we can't travel overseas and we're doing our road trips, you might have a few Ausbiz viewers popping in and asking for a cup of coffee. Uh, don't even have to come see me. Just come to our beautiful city. Love yeah, to yeah. see you. <laughs> oh, you got out of that very, very nicely. No, no, I'm not going to buy you a cup, but go to the Empire Theatre. Andrew Wheeler from uh, Dawn Bush Partners in Toowoomba. Always great to catch up, mate. Thank you. Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Always a pleasure to great have you to as be well. Here, Koshy. All right, let's just do a quick recap of the final five stocks as uh, we finish off the call here today. Where do we get up to? Hub 24, a no from both Julia and Andrew. Uh, Bigger Cheese, a yes from Andrew, uh, um, a hold from, uh, from Julia. Uh, Ripe, uh, a yes from Andrew, a wait from Julia, uh, no for Grange Resources, um, and with Kodan, a yes from Andrew, and uh, a wait from Julia there as well. So thank you for sending through your stocks. They were absolutely terrific. A great cross-section today, which we love. Learned a lot in the last 60 minutes or so. Now, if you want to send through any suggestions that you want of stocks you want covered here on the call, of course, you can email them to us, the call at osbiz.com.au, or you can get us through Twitter. Our handle is osbiztv. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.